don't you sit down and join me now during my breakfast time for a short Bible study? It's good to see you back again. I hope you found our first breakfast time useful. At that time, I mentioned that we will be studying the Holy Spirit. And I noticed that I was prompted to do this study because I was asked some questions about the Holy Spirit. In fact, questions that I had never really thought about. One of those questions is, what is the filling of the Holy Spirit? And how do you get filled? Well, Ephesians 5 verse 18 commands us. It says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Well, I, I'd first note that being filled is not the idea of being a cup being filled with hot chocolate. No. At another breakfast time, we will see being filled with the Holy Spirit, what it truly is, for it is to be continuously controlled by the Holy Spirit in your thoughts, your speech, your attitudes, your conduct, and your labors. But before we can study this, we must know to whom we will be giving this control. Therefore, we first must understand who or what is the Holy Spirit. At our last breakfast, I said he was a person. What do we mean by a person? Well, the Webster's New World Dictionary defines a person as a human being as distinguished from a thing or an animal. A living human body or a personality or being. But you know, none of these seem to totally fit both humans and God. By looking at our Bible, we can find a definition because we will see the attributes of humans and God and see that how it fits for both human beings and God the Trinity. Remember, the Holy Spirit is a person just as God the Father and God the Son are persons. Typically, personality is defined as being composed of knowledge, emotion, and will. But nowadays, science is trying to modify it even more, trying to expand it to include animals and trees and things. But So that definition won't do anymore. A better definition is that a person is a being who has certain capabilities and attributes that are unique from all other categories of living beings. Thus, a being having life, intelligence, purpose, activity, freedom, self-consciousness, emotions, and spirit is truly a definition of a person that distinguishes them, us, from anything else in the universe. Again, let me repeat that. A human being has life, intelligence, purpose, activity, freedom, self-consciousness, emotions, and spirit. Now, I certainly know I'm a person. I fit that, well, pretty much. Sometimes I don't know how much intelligence I have. <laughs> now, seriously, let's see if the Holy Spirit is this type of person. And if he is, then we can relate to him, trust him, and allow him to control and direct our life. 
You know, I can easily think of the Lord Jesus Christ as a person, and that gives me real comfort because I can talk to him. I can feel he's with me, walking with me and doing things with me. What we need to realize is the Holy Spirit is a similar person. In fact, in another breakfast time, we're going to see that he's a comforter. Therefore, that's exciting to me. We need to understand that he's a person. Now, because our breakfast times together are so short, and we don't want to be late for work. I'm just going to touch on the major characteristics that affect his capability to be a person and is a person that is walking with us. On my website, classesforbereans.com, I'm going to give an expanded listing of some of these activities with references so you can check them out. But for now, we're only going to look at his activity, his freedom, and his emotions as a person. Now, again, in our world, some people would say the Holy Spirit is only an influence or a force that causes humans to act. For example, looking at a beautiful sunset inspires a painter to go and paint that scene. That's just an influence. But that doesn't work for me, by the way because I can't paint anything except maybe a garage door, so I can't be inspired to paint. No, he's not a force, like gravity. For a force never can do certain things that we read of in the scriptures. For the scriptures tell us that the Holy Spirit speaks, Acts 8.29. The Holy Spirit intercedes for others, Romans 8.26. The Holy Spirit commands others, Acts 13.2. He teaches, 1 Corinthians 2.13. He testifies, John 15.26. And he reproves us, John 16.8. You see, the Holy Spirit does all these activities. Now, frankly, this sounds like an active person to me. Further, he's not only a living God, but he's a very active God. Now, the next thing we think about is freedom. Does he have freedom to act, to think as he chooses to do? Again, people are trying to make other things persons, like trees. Have you ever noticed that some people believe trees are a type of person that should be hugged? talked to, and given rights as people? But does tree have freedom? I've never seen a tree that is free to choose to move to another forest. A tree that can decide not to make leaves if he wants to? To go and find some other occupation than a tree? No, of course not. But the spirit has total freedom, even beyond our freedom of will that we have. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 17, and in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, we see that he has a will. That means he has a freedom of will. For we read in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he, the Holy Spirit, wills. 
In fact, as God the Holy Spirit, he has true freedom to do anything as long as it is consistent to his holy nature. He's not controlled by anything beyond himself. Now, think about this. If there was some person or power that could say to God the Holy Spirit or God the Father or God the Son, you can't do that, then that person or power would actually be God over what we call God the Father. For you see, God, the definition of God is that he is the only person that is totally free from restraints other than his own nature, his own nature that can't be changed. He can't change his nature. It is consistent. Now, Daniel wrote in chapter 4 and verse 35, speaking of this freedom that God has. For Daniel says, and all the inhabitants of earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven. That's God doing his will. Among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? You see, no one, no power, no being can say to God, Why are you doing that? You can't do that. That's why God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are God. They're totally free as long as they can do anything they want, as long as it fits their nature. Now, again, <clears throat> we hear some, I think, silly things, but people take it very seriously. They say animals have total freedom. No, they really can't. They have built-in instincts that do control them. Oh, they can show emotions. I happen to love dogs. <laughs> you can't tell me that dog doesn't have some emotions. But he's not totally free. Because I also impose my will on him. Isn't man free? Well, no, we're not totally free. We're still bound by our finiteness. We're limited and by our inherited genes. I have all kinds of physical limitations, so do you. And peer pressure can be great too, and the control of society. But you see, God is above all circumstances. He's entirely self-dependent. God only limits himself in one area that I have seen that is distinctively a limit. He limits himself with respect to salvation. For he has said he desires all men to be saved. Yet he does not force anyone to choose to be saved by receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior. Further, he self-limits how they can be saved, saved by requiring that the gospel be proclaimed by human beings using his written word, the Bible. He could impose that on people, but he doesn't. He limits himself saying that people get saved because they'll hear the scriptures and respond to it in faith. Romans 10 verses 14 and 17 tell us, How then shall they call on him, God, in whom they have not believed? 
And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And then we are told, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You know, God grants humans the free will to choose to either walk with him doing his will, receive him as Savior, or for them to go contrary to his will. Even as Christians, he still allows us to go our own way sometimes with our own will when we know it's contrary to his that we've read in the scriptures. He allows us to do that within limits because he's granted us a freedom. Now we're going to see that this freedom that he's granted to us is significant when we study how one is to be filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit in a breakfast soon to come. In some ways, our free will is the greatest gift God has given to us and reflects in a small way God's image and his total freedom. Now I noticed by the old clock on the wall, we both need to get going to work so let's just consider one last aspect of being a person. That is that the Holy Spirit has emotional feelings. <laughs> Did you ever think of that? I didn't. We find in Isaiah 63, 10 and 11 example that the Lord in history responded to Israel with emotion when they rebelled against him, despite all that he had done for them and bringing them out of Egyptian slavery and taking them to Israel. We read, but they, Israel, rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Vexed, that's an emotion. Therefore he was turned to be their enemy and he fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old. Moses, his people saying, where is he that brought them up out of the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he that put his Holy Spirit within them? A couple things we need to note here. To be vexed is to be annoyed, frustrated with, worried about. That's an emotion. Notice carefully that this is an Old Testament mention of the Holy Spirit and his emotion as a person. In fact, it even says he was with them at that time. Where? On the earth. That's a physical location. Now, a force is in the air. It's not on the earth. We see also in the New Testament that the Spirit can be grieved in Ephesians 4.30. We read, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Grieved means to feel great distress or grief. Typically, it's an action between one person and another. Here it is a believer who causes the spirit to be emotionally grieved. Now, finally, on a positive note, let's look at Romans 15.30. Now, I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Just like the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit loves us. 
No force or influence can do that. Only a person can truly, truly love. Now in our next breakfast together, I'm going to talk about the Spirit's work as the comforter sent by God the Father to we who know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. So please join me then at our next breakfast. May the Lord bless you mightily. I'll either see you here at the breakfast table or in the air.